Good morning. My name is Jacob. We're going to be talking about love today. The lesson is called, What is Love? And if you don't know, I'm going to teach you. I'm the love doctor. This is your love <laughs> lesson. So tune in, take notes. And this has to do with the love that we are prescribed in the Jesus Creed. The Jesus Creed essentially is love God and love your neighbor. And that's where we've been hanging out the last couple weeks, challenging ourselves to pray this prayer, to live this prayer, to take these love God, love neighbor buttons into our lives as a reminder that this is what we're supposed to do, but also that this is what God is going to do through us. So as we begin today, I want to invite you to stand with me, and we are going to pray the Jesus Creed together. Prayer goes like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. That's it. That's what we've been praying. You can sit down. That's what we've asked you to take into your daily lives. We've asked you to take these buttons as a reminder. And I've, I've told you at the beginning of this series, I want to hear your stories. I want to hear how this is hitting you. How this is reminding you to pray this throughout your day, especially when you wake up and, and just before you go to bed, and any time throughout the day that you're reminded that this is who we are called to be in Christ. Some of you have sent me photographs of where your Jesus Creed buttons have brought you. This is uh, John Johnston's work truck, I believe. He, he prayed this prayer just before he rescued a thousand people from a burning building or something like that. Maybe while he was drinking coffee, I'm not exactly sure. But this is the creed in his cup holder and the, the button right there with him to remind him throughout the day. I took a picture of this button that I, I spotted on somebody's purse. Can you guys tell whose purse this is? Again, it's a hard game. And this is yours. She's not paying attention. And <laughs> this is your, oh, forget it. A <laughs> couple of school teachers right here in Livermore, Michelle and Trish, take their, their Jesus Creed buttons and wear them on their lanyards throughout their day as a reminder to, to love God and to love neighbor. A couple of Facebook comments that I wanted to share with you come from some people of our congregation talking about how this has been a good reminder, but how it's also been challenging. Uh, Sandra McRandall shares this. I'm finding day by day that he keeps reminding me over and over in many different ways just how much he loves us and how much we can trust him to care and provide for us. Our family is in a trying season right now, not relationally, but in other ways. And his love and compassion mean so much when we feel overwhelmed or lack in hope. Appreciate Sandra giving me permission to share that with you. Uh, and then Justin, reflecting on his experience, praying the Jesus Creed, taking this seriously, trying to live it out. He says, honestly, as I pray this prayer, God has been highlighting just how far short I fall in living this out in my daily life. Not in a guilty, condemning sort of way, but praying this prayer in sincere honesty with God has been revealing the many areas of hard-heartedness I have toward my neighbor, especially in light of who Jesus says is our neighbor. And maybe on that same note, it also highlights for me some ways that I'm not loving God with all my mind or all my strength. So while this has been a very positive practice for me, it's not just some magical formula that all of a sudden I'm good at living this out. In fact, it is God revealing to me the areas that he is working and renovating my heart and creating in me a clean heart, making me more and more like him in all my ways. And he ends with this. So yes, but ouch, but yes. And I like that. So how about the rest of you guys? Are you doing this? 
the command, the greatest of all the commands, according to Jesus, to love God, to love your neighbor. Are we doing this? Are we trying? Are we living this out? And as I was thinking about this question and this evaluation, are we doing this, I think it kind of depends on what your definition of love is. Love is the core. Love God, love neighbor. How you define love is going to determine how well you think and how well you uh, conclude you are doing with living this out. If your definition of love is not hating somebody or not actively opposing somebody, then by that standard, I've loved pretty much everybody. I'm not getting in people's way. There's people across the world that I don't even know, and I'm not messing with their lives in any kind of sense. So I've loved them by that definition. The problem with that is sometimes we we create this dichotomy, this either-or between love and hate. If I'm not hating somebody, well, then I must be loving somebody. Good for me. I've lived this out, Jesus. Uh, But that's a little bit too easy. I think that's a little bit too simple. I've heard somebody say one time that the opposite of love is not hate, but the opposite of love is indifference. Because love is action. Love is active. Love is not experienced based on the intentions you have for loving people, but it's experienced by the things that you do. So it kind of doesn't do us a lot of good to take this Jesus creed seriously into our lives if we are coming up with our own definition of love. Because we'll kind of take the path of least resistance. We will shoot the arrow first and then paint the target around it and say, yeah, yeah, the things that I'm already doing, I'm going to define love around that, so sure, good job for me. Now I can move on. That's not what we're going to do. God is the one who gives us these two greatest commands in the first place, so I think we better make sure that we understand what God means when he says love. We should evaluate how well this is going based on God's definition of love. And there's a lot in the Bible about love. That's the good news. When I say, what's God's definition of love? You may already have some go-to scriptures that you like when it comes to hearing what God has to say about love. You might think, oh, you've got to go to 1 Corinthians 13, right? The love chapter. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy or boast. And all these great descriptions that we can realize that we're falling short on (laughs) on a daily basis. But it's a good measuring stick. You might think, well, what does God have to say about love? Let's go to 1 John chapter 3 and chapter 4. There's a lot in there about God's love for us and about the love that we should have for one another. You might go Old Testament and go to the book of Deuteronomy because throughout the book of Deuteronomy, you get the heart of God, the love that he has for his people and the love that he calls them to live out. You might even think, I want to learn about love. I'm going to go to Song of Solomon. That's a, that's a good book on love. Maybe. That was the book that when I was a kid, growing up in church, we would sneak a copy of the Bible, and we'd go to chapter 7, and we'd go, oh, look at this, because it's, it's romantic love. It's, a, it's, it's an erotic book. It's, it's this, this woman who is like, oh, I'm feeling all faint. I'm feeling all special, because this guy is so handsome, and he's on his way. And then this man saying about this woman, she's awesome. Let me describe her body for you. So as a 10-year-old in church, me and my buddy Jared, we'd be like, <laughs> look what he's saying, look at what he's talking about. It's exciting. We may touch on some of those today. Maybe not all of those, but we'll, we'll draw from these ideas. But what I want to do this morning is kind of look at the way that God has loved 
and then ask ourselves the question, do we love him like that? Do we love our neighbor like that? There's a, a New Testament professor named Scott McKnight, and he wrote a book called The Jesus Creed, and a lot of the ideas that I'm getting and that I'm sharing with you in this series come from this book, and I recommend it. Um, Scott gives five characteristics of the kind of love that God demonstrates in Scripture. And this morning, I just want us to go through these five characteristics together. Take a look at how God has loved, how God loves, and then see how we're doing. You may want to write these down. The first one, commitment. is a very primary characteristic of the love that God has for his people. As a minister, I get the opportunity every once in a while to meet with young couples that are engaged, and they're excited because they're going to get married in a matter of months, and they're they're planning their wedding, and we get to talk about what it means to be married, but then we get to talk about the ceremony. What kinds of things do you want to have in your wedding to demonstrate the commitment that you're going to be making to each other? There's things like rings, and you make vows. Sometimes there's like pouring sand into a vase, or like a lighting of a candle. There's all sorts of different things. Every once in a while, a couple will come to me and they'll say, you know, we want to we bring in some animals. We want to bring in some livestock. Like nothing big, like a goat maybe, and a cow, and maybe a couple pigeons or something like that. And we want to cut them in half. We want to slaughter these animals, and then we want to take the two pieces, and we want to put them one on one side of the aisle and one on the other side. And then we'll take the goat and do the same thing, one on one side of the aisle, one on the other side of the aisle. And then we want to walk between the pieces of these animals as a way to demonstrate our commitment to each other. That hasn't actually happened yet. I'm <laughs> I'm waiting for a couple to say that they want that in their ceremony and for me to say, that's probably not the best idea. Uh, but this comes from the patriarchal period. If you flip way back in your Bible and you go to Genesis 15, that's where this comes from. When people were making agreements with one another, this was a common thing to do. You take something that is valuable to you, you take something that is alive, and you would kill it. Cut it in half, you place the, the two pieces on either side, and you would walk between them. That seems really, really weird and unnecessary to us. I understand. But this made a lot of sense to them back then. And there's this scene in Genesis chapter 15 where God comes to Abram and he says, I'm going to make a commitment to you. I'm going to be for you. I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. And not just you, I'm going to bless your descendants as well. And Abram makes this covenant commitment to God. And in this scene, Abram takes the animals and he splits them in half and he creates this little walkway and God, in the form of a, a fiery pot thing that I can't quite picture and don't fully understand, moves between the pieces of these animals. And you might say, why? What's the point of that? In doing that, God is essentially saying, may what happened to these animals happen to me if I don't keep my commitment to you, if I'm not true to the promises that I am making to you today. That's a big commitment. That's how God loves. God is in God is committed. He shows his love for us by being faithful to his promises. And you see this throughout the Bible. Even though Israel is repeatedly unfaithful and doesn't keep their side of the bargain, God keeps his covenant. He is committed to his people. Second one, affection. Some people are quick when we think about God's love. They're quick to distinguish God's love from human love. And they say, oh, the way that we love is very emotionally driven. It's more about feelings. But God's love is a resolute, kind of absolute, complete love. And they'll go to these Greek words that we learned somewhere along the way, and they'll say, well, God's love is agape love. 
Whereas the love that we have for each other could be more like a phileo love, love for, for your brother, or an eros, which is where we get our English word erotic, more of a feelings kind of love. And they'll say like, well, teenager love is eros. God's love is agape. And I get what they're trying to say there, but it's a little bit off as far as the Greek goes. Uh, if you look at the Gospel of John, the words phileo and agape are essentially interchangeable. So we try to make this distinction between these two kinds of love, but it's love all throughout. And going to my favorite book as a 10-year-old, Song of Songs, you actually get the word agape described in a very romantic and feelings-heavy sense. Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 5. The woman is speaking, and she says this. Now, picture this. She's, she's feeling faint. She's hot and bothered because she sees this good-looking hunk of man. And she says, whew, strengthen me with raisins. <laughs> Refresh me with apples, my, 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 for I am faint with love. And the word love there is the word agape. This is a felt love. God's love is not a clinical or a detached love. And it's not just obligatory in the sense of, well, I made this commitment, I walked through the animals, I guess I got to hold up my side of the bargain. No, it's a love that God wants to have for his people. God's love is a felt love. It's like, uh, it reminds me of that feeling that you get when you're in middle school and you took out a piece of paper and you wrote down on this paper, do you like me? And then you make a little box that says yes, and a little box that says no. Check one. You fold it up and you give it to your best friend and they take it to that cute girl that you are too afraid to talk to. And time goes by and you can't wait. And then that note comes back. You receive the response and you unfold it. And you read when it says, do you like me? Yes or no? She checked the box that says yes. That's a good feeling. Or that feeling that you get, that, that uncontrollable urge that you have to scoop up your grandchildren and to cuddle them and just to smother them and give them kisses and kisses and kisses. That's the kind of love that God has for us. It's a felt love. God has feelings of affection for his people. Deuteronomy chapter 10, where I said there's a lot of God's heart. Verses 14 and 15. To the Lord your God belongs the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. In other words, God is sovereign. He does what he wishes. He's the creator. He does whatever he wants. And yet, this is what he wants to do. The Lord has set his affection on your ancestors and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. Again, in chapter 7, the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you uh, choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. You were the fewest of all the peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath that he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery. Affection. Affection. This Hebrew word that's used for affection is the word shakash, and it means to join together or it means to desire. There's this felt love that God has for his people. In other words... If you took a piece of paper and you wrote down, do you like me? Do you like me? Yes or no? And you folded it up and you gave it to God. When you got that note back and you unfolded it, you would find the box would be checked. Yes. Yes, I like you. Yes, I love you. That's how God loves. Another characteristic of God's love is presence. God 
shows up. In Exodus, God tells Moses, I've heard the cries of my people in slavery, and I'm going to rescue them. So I need you to go to Pharaoh, the most powerful person in the land, and I want you to go and just take my people back. Just say, I'm taking them, and I'm going. Bye. And Moses says, uh, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? This is not something that I'm up for. And God's response is, I will be with you. Go and do this. I am going to be with you. And he absolutely was. He was with Moses when he was before Pharaoh. He was with Moses leading the people in the wilderness. He was with his people while they were wandering in the desert in the form of the tabernacle, the pillar of fire, the the cloud. When they built the temple, the Shekinah presence of God, his glory dwelt in the temple. In Jesus Christ, we have what? Emmanuel. God with us. And then after Jesus is raised from the dead, the Holy Spirit comes so that God can be with his people, so that God can be present with his people, all the way to the end of Revelation. The end of the Bible goes like this. Heaven and earth come together, never to be separated. God wants to be present. God is a God who is with his people. And he doesn't just show up to watch you flounder, to watch you get tomatoes thrown at you. God is a God who is with us, and God is also a God who is for us. There was a woman during the time of Jesus, and she was having sex with someone who was not her husband. Some Pharisees bring her to Jesus, and he's out teaching publicly. They drag this woman in front of Jesus, and they say this. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. You know what we're supposed to do. The law of Moses says we should stone her to death. What do you say, Jesus? You make the call. You may have heard this story before. What does Jesus do? Does something kind of strange. Gets down on the ground. Bends over, and he starts drawing in the dirt with his finger. Drawing or writing. Why is he doing that? What is he writing? What is he drawing? We don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. But they keep asking him. They're like, Jesus, come on, weigh in on this. What are we supposed to do with this sinful woman? They're asking, hoping for a certain response. There's people in the crowd around them. They've already got their stones in hand. They want to see the fireworks. So Jesus stands up, and he says, okay, let's do it like this. Whichever one of you is without sin, throw the first stone at her. They have a realization. Oh, hmm, uh, oh. They drop their stones, they walk away, one by one. She finds herself alone, but with Jesus. He looks around and he says, hey, is there, there's nobody here left to condemn you? She looks around and says, no, no one. And Jesus says, I don't condemn you either. You should go and leave your life of sin. Maybe don't do that anymore. That's not the way, that's not where you need to be, but I'm not going to throw any stones at you today. I don't condemn you. I am for you. God is on our side. He shows up for us, and he vouches for us. In Romans 5.8, it says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is how God loves. This is what we see in Scripture. Not in just these examples that I've given, but again, again and again. This is what God has in mind 
when he calls us to love. So how are we doing with this? The question that we started with. How's it going? Are we loving God in this way? Are we loving our neighbor as ourselves? When we realize that when God says, love me and love them, this is what he has in mind. Commit yourself to the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Attach yourself to or desire the Lord your God with all of your heart. Spend time with the Lord your God. Be near him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Stand up for the Lord your God. Wear your faith on your sleeve with all you got. That's loving God the way that God loves us. What about loving others? We hear him saying, make a rugged commitment to your neighbor. Affection. Feel something for your neighbor. Don't just love them by leaving them alone, not bothering them, and think that you've done the love that God requires. Actually come up with some reasons that you like them, that you feel something for them. Side note, kind of bugs me when people say, I love that person, but I don't really like them. If that's how you're going to love, then don't love me. Because I don't want you to love me but not like me. What does that even look like? I get what people are trying to say. I, I understand that love requires some commitment, that it's more than just a feeling. But man, liking somebody is important. You know how you can like people better? Spend more time with them. Make time for your neighbor. Presence, show up for your neighbor. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus defines who a neighbor is by telling a story about two religious people who wouldn't let their day be interrupted by caring for someone who was dying on the side of the road, and then one person who would. That person was a neighbor to the dying man. And advocacy for our neighbors. Go to bat for your neighbor. Stick up for them. Take their side, whether they're around or not. How well do we do this? When somebody's not around, we may say one thing about them. And then when they're there, we say a little bit nicer things about them. That's not advocacy. This is what we're called to do. These are the characteristics of God, how he loves and how we should love. <sighs> Anybody feeling a little bit anxious about this call to live out the Jesus Creed? This seems maybe, this, this is a higher standard of love than maybe we've expected. It might make you feel a little bit intimidated but it's important. It's an important thing not to get wrong because people know who they are by how well they've been loved. And they know who God is when they experience his love. So this is not something that we can afford to water down or change or paint the target around some watered-down version of love that we think that we're already living out. If these qualities that we've seen in the love of God, if this is the caliber of love that we've received from him, why would we only give that out and demonstrate that to others in a partial way? That's not true to what God has called us to do. In Jesus Christ, God demonstrated this kind of love for us, his unwavering commitment to us, his affection for his people. God was present with us in Jesus Christ, and he stood up for us by taking our sin and shame and even stood in the face of death and said, no, you cannot take them. He went Gandalf on them and said, you shall not pass. The Lord of the Rings is all about Christ anyway. To put it another way, behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we might be called his sons and daughters. 1 John chapter 3. And we realize when we consider the love of God that we love because God 
first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must, must, must also love their brother or sister. And as Justin observed for us, and that I can, amen, this is hard. This does not come quickly. So how do we do this? That's where the fifth characteristic of God's love really helps us out. And that's transformation. God's love changes us. And I would say God's love changes us in all the best ways. There's this myth in relationships that you'll hear people say sometimes. If you love me, you won't try to change me. Don't try to change me. Don't try to fix me. And I get that. It's probably wise not to enter into a relationship with somebody who's very, very broken and thinking, I'm the solution to all their problems, and I'll have them fixed in six to eight weeks. Maybe don't do that. But change is inevitable. Change, especially in relationships, will happen to you. You are formed by the people you spend time with, by the influences that you allow yourself to have. Change is a part of life. If you're on Facebook over these last few weeks, you've probably seen people doing the Facebook challenge from your first profile picture to your most recent profile picture, and some people don't look like they've changed at all, and some people look like they've changed quite a bit. I took mine and said, hey, how, does I, how do I look? 2008, 2018. I'm still smiling, so I got that going for me, but I look very different. You're going to say this, so I'll say it for you. My hair did a flip-flop, right? Okay, right. I see that, too. You're absolutely right. Change is going to happen, not just in how we look, but in how we see the world, who we are, who we become. That's transformation. The question is, how are the people that you love going to change you? How are the people in your life going to change because of the way you love them? God's love is a love that forms you to become more like him. We see this throughout the life and ministry of Jesus. Jesus begins his ministry by literally calling people to come and watch me. What are you up to? What are you about? Come and see. Come and look for yourselves. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Become like me. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. John chapter 13, the night that Jesus was arrested, he gets down on the floor and he washes his disciples' feet. And he says, I did this for you. You need to do this for each other. The love that we experience from God causes us to grow in Christ-likeness and mature in holiness. The love of God is winsome. It draws us in and it leaves us wanting more. But this is challenging. And like Justin said, it doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. That's why in the Jesus Creed, we said, we don't want you to just try to go do this because you're not going to get very far. We want you to pray this. We want you to contribute to this, but we also want you to understand that God is going to work through you, and transformation is one of the key ways that this happens. It's like if you're in a dark room, and you open a door, and you step out into the sunlight. What's going to happen? You're going to go, whoa, whoa, that is bright. That is a high standard. I don't want to see that. And you have a choice to make. You can go back into the dark room and be like, oh, I was much more comfortable here. Or you can give it a shot. You can adjust. Your eyes will change. God has designed us to be like that. Your eyes are going to adjust. The sun is going to be okay in just a matter of moments. 
I think the same thing is true with how we love. We are going to change. Our capacity for loving God and for loving others is going to change in the ways that it needs to if we stick with him. There's a book by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce. Beautiful picture about the choice that we have to either seek God or to stay in our own little world as we waste away. And in the book, the people who choose to distance themselves from God, they slowly kind of lose their materiality. They become translucent. They're like ghosts. And there's this bus. It's such a fun story. This bus shows up. And, oh, let's get on the bus and see. They get this chance to go to be near God, where God lives in the mountains. So they go up into the mountains, and they get off the bus, these ghosts, and they're all grumpy and selfish, and they have all these reasons to, to be self-centered and this pain that they're all holding on to. And then these helpers, they come down from the mountains where God is, and they're bright, and they're, they're, they're uh, material. They're, they're complete. They don't look like ghosts like everybody else. They're full of joy. And they say, you're almost there. We want you to come. And these ghosts get out of the bus, and they start walking on the grass. And for you and me, it would be this beautiful lawn, this soft grass. But they are so, they're so wasted away, and they have such a small amount of materiality that they step on this grass, and they go, ow, this is like knives on my feet. But the helpers from the mountains, they say, that's okay. You'll get used to that. Your bodies will get more solid. Your feet will become stronger. It's not going to seem as hard as it does now. Just keep going. And each of the characters, each of these ghosts from the bus, they have a choice of whether or not they believe these ones that told them, you're going to change. You're going to get better. It's going to become easier the more that you do it. Just don't give up. Just keep going. You can make it to the mountains. This is where your creator wants you to be. This is Christ. Christ tells us, stick with it. I'm going to shape you. I'm going to make you stronger. I'm going to take your hard heart and I'm going to replace it with a soft heart. I'm going to give you my heart so that you can love your neighbor, so that you can love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's how God loves. I don't want it to seem overwhelming or impossible because it's not. It actually becomes more doable the more of a chance you get it as your eyes adjust, as your feet become stronger. You guys can do this. You should believe me because you've seen this. You've seen this happen. You've seen lives that are transformed. Maybe you've experienced your capacity to love become much greater. So I want you to vision with me this morning. I want you to dream with me just a little bit. What would it look like if more people got to experience the love of God in its intended form because of you? How would that impact your relationships? How would that impact your home, your workplace, your faith? How would that impact your outlook? on life? How would that impact your relationship with God and how you wake up and how you start every day? I think it could be an amazing opportunity and what we were designed for all along. I want to close today by inviting you to stand with me and I'm going to pray a blessing for you. The praise team, you guys can come on back up here. But I want to pray over you the words from 1 John 3 and then we'll flip it over to Ephesians Chapter 3, his words about the love that we are called to have. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp 
how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And if you agree with me, say Amen. Amen.